To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do any of this without you. To support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Patrons get access to our second weekly bonus episode that comes out every Monday and access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. And if you'd like to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pick up copies of Health Communism and a short history of trans misogyny at your local bookstore, or request them at your local library and follow us at deathpanel underscore. So today I'm here with my co-hosts, Artie Vierkant. Hello. And Phil Rocco. Hello. And the three of us are going to offer, I guess, what is now our third intervention on the death panel to sort of start off this year examining the claims that are being made by the Biden campaign about the last three years of his administration. So in late January, the three of us discussed the campaign's attempt to rewrite recent history and paint over Biden's record of having helped hasten the end of the pandemic-related welfare state expansions, pushing people back to work even as the pandemic raged and rages on. Then Melissa G.R. Grant was on the show to talk about her recent reporting on the Biden campaign's pledge to run on codifying Roe and why that's not enough, and how the Biden team is also focused more on fundraising off of conservative attacks on abortion than intervening. While Biden himself continues to avoid saying the word abortion whenever possible. Yeah. Today, we're going to be bringing in another piece of the puzzle here, which is the recent claim by the Biden team that a record-breaking 21.3 million people signed up for ACA plans during open enrollment this year. And liberals have applauded this as a victory for Obamacare. While conservatives have been complaining about, you know, wasting taxpayer money and calling it a de facto public option, you know, the pretty standard <laughs> stuff. But, you know, like with many presidential election cycles, healthcare is a central topic. And so I hope even people who are, you know, avoiding coverage of the election this year will at least continue to push back and do the work to sort of discredit the narratives that are being pushed from all angles right now that Biden has done a good job with healthcare or that Bidenomics, quote unquote, worked. Because between the sociological production of the end of the pandemic, the Medicaid unwinding, dropping the ball on abortion, and what we're going to discuss today about the ACA, Biden has been really bad for our healthcare finance, bad for healthcare workers, and bad for our health in a much broader sense. So I'm excited to go beyond these sort of very hollow campaign claims, which I think we'll start by digging into But that's going to allow us to get to some of the larger issues, like the relationship between the ACA and the unwinding, and then some of these broader sort of 10,000-foot views taking a step back to look at the ACA itself. But first, let's start on what the administration is actually saying, how they're framing it, and also how this is being applauded as a victory of Obamacare and like what that even means. Yeah. And I think looking to the way that liberals are cheering about this uh, or immediately kind of reacted very positively and mostly I think not even just liberals, but the press itself cheered very quickly about this 21.3 million figure, which, you know, again, 
it's good that more people have health insurance, but as we'll get into, you can't talk about this story without mentioning Medicaid unwinding and Mm -hmm. the huge numbers, like now 16.4 million people as of the last time I checked the Kaiser tracker um, that have been kicked off Medicaid. It's also really important, I think, just to have a real conversation about what the ACA is and who it's for, as we'll talk about the limitations of it. So because, you know, not all simply driving down the uninsured rate is one thing versus, you know, what what is the nature of that insurance, for example. Um, But I think here some of the sort of applause for this figure is really interesting and indicative. So I pulled, for example, um, please do not throw a shoe at me for uh, <laughs> citing these people, but I, I, um, I pulled, for example, the official Democratic Party blog, the uh, <laughs> DNC National Press Office, <laughs> quote unquote, war room, uh, says February 5th, 2024, President Biden is overseeing a record expansion of health care coverage as Trump pushes to rip it away. Um, and again, that record expansion of health care coverage big asterisk on that when you compare it to the unwinding. But anyway, um, and then of course there is um, things like uh, Paul Krugman wrote an op-ed in the New York Times called Biden Care is a really big deal um, in which he praises Biden for having, quote, largely resolved the ACA's problems and that, quote, in one of his major unsung accomplishments as a sidebar, it's amazing how many Americans believe that an unusually productive president hasn't done much. <laughs> president okay. Biden has made Obamacare an even bigger deal in a way that is improving life for millions of Americans, unquote. And then Biden himself, uh, finally, or rather, I guess, maybe his campaign or you know whoever is writing his tweets for him, also presenting this as a major victory with Biden tweeting on January 24th. Quote, Americans have been clear. They don't want the Affordable Care Act repealed. They want it strengthened, unquote. But, you know, again, as I, as I mentioned before, as with many things with this administration, I think there's a much more complicated discussion to be had here than like 21.3 million is a big number and therefore good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it seems irresponsible. It not seems it is irresponsible, for example, for pundits like Krugman to be able to simply tout high Obamacare enrollment without mentioning Medicaid unwinding so much as a single time. Yeah. Um, And, you know, as we've talked about plenty in recent episodes over the last year, Biden has played a key role in setting up the end of the COVID public health emergency and the purge of Medicaid enrollment that came with it. And so this is context, I think, that truly can't be omitted when you talk about how high ACA enrollment is right now. Um, But also, again, you know, the ACA is a mess. And for more than a decade now, we've been sort of just locked in this interminable cycle, I think, where the right repeats these vague notions of we're going to repeal Obamacare or what is Trump said, like, we need to, like, repeal Obamacare and replace it with much better health care. Of course. Or whatever recently. Um, While Democrats are just stuck in this, you know, cycle of just saying either defend or expand the system. And so one thing I hope that we can get into today is what some of the problems are with the ACA generally, you know, not the little problems that the Democrats focus on tweaking, like what the given subsidy levels are in any given year. But the fact that, I mean, the ACA itself is this quintessentially neoliberal public-private partnership Mm -hmm. program Mm -hmm. for healthcare that really, you know, I think it emblematizes the problems with a lot of the contemporary Democratic Party, honestly, but also it's something that we just cannot allow the national conversation about healthcare to be stuck in <laughs> this, you know, Obamacare quagmire. Forever. Right. 
Well, I think it's also like it relates to this bigger thing that I think is is going on right now, which is in a way, this is sort of like the pre fee menu uh, of death panel looking at uh, the politics of the 2024 presidential election. And I think the Krugman uh, article, it provides like the entire motif for the menu here, Uh, because like with whether it's like jobs or, or the economy or whatever, like every article of this type, like it has a common format and it is sort of, you know, why are people drawing uh, distinctions or, or are, are their perceptions locked into to vibes rather than this one <laughs> statistic I'm going to cite uh, completely out of context? Like, why can't people just look at this one statistic out of context rather than, I don't know, living in their context uh, in which this one statistic might actually be a very poor representation for any number of other reasons, including just the basic fact that statistics are always boiled down, you know, aggregate representations of reality than than descriptions of what's going on. And I think that the ACA, like, since it was passed, it it just reminds me of this old line that Aaron Woldavsky, this sort of public policy uh, kind of godfather of policy analysis, has is like public policies, like once they're created, they they create their own like social reality. Mm. And they do so by directing your attention to certain aspects of reality uh, and and away from others. So like mm-hmm. when the ACA passed, what's the big part of reality that you pay attention to? Well, the, the things that the ACA like signals, like, well, the, you know, uninsurance rate drops, right? Uh, the number of uh, uh, denials based on pre-existing conditions drop, obviously. But it neglects entirely all of the other ways that we know insurance works. It neglects, for example, under insurance, as a fact of life for people who, especially people who have, you know, employer-based insurance often doesn't cover most of the costs that they have. Right. And it, you know, the, the pre-existing condition thing, I, I do sort of want to get into, cause it's another mm-hmm. one of these areas mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, obviously you can still be denied coverage for any <laughs> number of other reasons. Absolutely. And it's like, do, yeah. do you think when they take away the, you know, denials, they take away insurers ability to deny based on preexisting conditions, which robs them of revenue in that way that they're not going to try to find some other way of coming up with it. But, but you know, I digress because I think the thing that Krugman and he's not the only person that's pointing this out is we have this problem of like synecdoche that like Obamacare or whatever is this thing with many, many parts, but you can point to any one part of it and have it stand in for the whole, right? Mm-hmm. Which like in the early days, it was always the sort of thing that like, you know, when something was going bad or like with like one part of the law, you could say, look, this whole thing is failing. Thus, you know, should be repealed or whatever. Um, and so, simultaneously, the, the same thing happened. It's like, you know, enrollment in uh, marketplace exchanges, which, you know, in terms of how the ACA expanded coverage, that's a, much more marginal part than say Medicaid expansion, by the way, um, you know, ex- exchange enrollment went up and it kind of misses, I think the, the kind of broader, you know, context is that, you know, where are we at? You, you probably have the numbers. How many people have been disenrolled from Medicaid already at this point? 16.4, um, which is obviously still an ongoing count. Right. And yeah, 16.4 uh, million. And we're only halfway check, yeah. through. We're only halfway through. Yep. Right, um, right. And, and that's really important. So, and then to talk about marketplace enrollment apart from, from Medicaid disenrollment means that you're looking at, you know, the 
number of people who are like enrolling in exchanges who, who are perhaps never, we're never going to be enrolled in, in Medicaid anyway. And you're not looking at a very important piece of the reality here that connects the two things, which is of the people who are being thrown off of Medicaid, what percentage of them are getting coverage through the marketplace? Like that is one of the most, if not the most important things to think about, because if the argument for defenders of the ACA is something like, uh, don't worry, if you get thrown off one part of it, you'll qualify for another part of it that won't be, you know, that won't cost you that much more money. Because that's basically the argument, right? I mean, he's not even talking about Medicaid. Does he even talk about Medicaid unwinding in the piece? I don't think he does. Krugman, no, he doesn't no, mention he doesn't. it once. Right. Yeah. So, but like, you know, if he a did, lot of coverage doesn't mention right, unwinding, right, because because of course it's like you know, like, let's let's focus on this one completely context-free statistic. Why aren't you happy about that? Um, right. I can't. You know, but if he were to mention it, an important thing to think about would be like, well, I can imagine the argument would be like, well. People who are getting thrown off Medicaid, they can go on the exchanges. Okay, so let's actually look whether or not that's happening. And this is something that I, if you go back and research all of our coverage on the show, we've talked about this as a thing from the very beginning. Because way back when, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, they have this office that does all of this analysis. And they're like, how many people, when they get thrown off of Medicaid, are going to uh, get marketplace coverage? And they made a forecast. They said about 18%, a whopping 18% of people who got thrown off Medicaid were going to get marketplace coverage. Uh, I think that that was at the time 2.7 million people. Um, what would you guess the current <laughs> rate at which uh, people who are being thrown off Medicaid are getting marketplace coverage? What would you guess that rate is? I mean, I would just expect it to be low, honestly. Yeah. Because I. 18% is already low, right? I mean, like, even if it were 17%, that would be pathetic, but. Yeah. It's 13%. Mm. Um, Jesus. Right. So, so this is the thing is that when you kind of use public policy as a means of misdirection, right? And when you have something like the ACA, which is this patchwork of different programs, right? Insurance exchanges. Uh, Medicaid, these other kind of mechanisms within the law that are supposed to, you know, make it easier for people to get health care, lower the cost of care, et cetera, et cetera. Like when you build a policy around that, what it is, is it's a series of avenues for misdirection. So you can point to one thing and say, look, look at this statistic. But actually, you have to think about it in, in the context of the whole. And right now, if you're throwing 16 plus million people and we're only halfway off Medicaid, and only 13% of those people are getting marketplace coverage, then like, what are we really talking about here? Right? Like let's, let's at the very least, like, why don't you just like call off the champagne order? To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron only episodes and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops with love. The Death Panel.